right, folks, we're back again, part two of this podcast. Um, Brian, what is the crack with you today? Any news? What's the crack? You know, uh, I don't think there's much news altogether. Do you have any news that you um, want to share with our audience? Not really. Um, yeah, not, I, I think there's not, not much to report, really. Um, no, and so, since this is a part two of the previous <clears throat> podcast, we can, we can more or less jump into it. Um, yeah. So for anyone who didn't listen to the previous episode uh, or is not aware of it, I mean, obviously, you'll have seen what the title of this episode is. So you're going to have some idea of what's going on. But we're continuing on a case study as, as we do um for this client who has you know poor relation with food um poor relation with her body image this leads to over restriction in her diet it leads to um overeating then as well so issues with binge eating issues with uh you know prolonged fasting restriction uh essentially not eating enough uh you know kind of concerns about certain foods that she should or should not eat um, because they'll be counter to her goals so these are all the kind of things we covered um, in the previous episode and in this episode we're going to look more at the you know the emotional eating side of things um, what can be done there um, you know so looking at this from like a, a cognitive perspective uh, kind of from an acceptance commitment therapeutic perspective and basically this the kind of things that we we do with clients um in these situations um to, to help them with this stuff because it can be a little bit tricky a little bit complicated and i think i think it's fair to say people can go looking for answers in the wrong places with this stuff um but that's what we're going to get into today so yeah it should it should be a good episode anything anyone add to that theme before we go no, like I think there is, um, I, I think what needs to be said is there are many different ways to approach emotional eating and some of these more psychological mindsets working on your, your, uh, your cognitions, as we, as we would call it, working on your thinking. There are many different ways um, to approach this situation. We're going to be talking about a few of the things that we do um, with people, but I do think it, you know, uh, and I and I do say this to people oftentimes with this type of stuff. We can obviously help you a great deal, but sometimes, depending on uh, as we discussed in the last time in the last uh, part of this episode, depending on the severity of the situation, you may need the assistance of uh, a psychologist that specialises in eating disorder or disordered eating behavior or eating disorder dietitian um, because obviously they're going to have even more expertise and, and specificity with this type of stuff. Um, but we obviously do, do um, use all these evidence-based cognitive techniques um, that are very, very useful. Um, but I, I just want to say, I suppose, before we begin, um, you may, you know, if, if you kind of feel like, right, I, uh, this is a massive problem for me. This is, you know, this is probably beyond the scope um, of what, you know, uh, a nutritionist like ourselves can do. Like, you know, don't be afraid to reach out um, and get proper therapy or, or reach out um, and, and uh, try and get help from 
uh, practitioners that, that specialize yeah. in this as well like you know because it can it can be it can be quite challenging um it, it can be a lot of work obviously it's worthwhile work but it, it can be yeah. a lot of work and i think you do need to have oftentimes you do need to have somebody guiding you through this process um yeah. but again we will we will talk about a lot of the different ideas um i think in terms of what we would do with this type of client um but as i say there's a lot of different routes that you can go down here like you know you can you can take the sort of the self-help um route with like uh, some of the reflective writing exercises which we'll get into later on but you know again you can kind of think of it as a process of right depending on how severe i am depending on how severe this is for me i can sort of go down the self-help route or i can go towards the you know someone like ourselves um nutritionist but then as i say as you kind of the severity of things progresses you may need to go to the eating disorder dietitian or a uh, therapy that is specializes in, in this type of stuff mm. um depending on where you're at you know so i just want to say that as a kind of a preface before we kind of get yeah. into the meat and potatoes of this so. depending on when you listen to this as well because if you potentially listen to this five to ten years after it's recording maybe i am your guy at that point so yeah so let's see let's let's do some crystal ball stuff there but um mm -hmm. no everything everything dean uh, has said there is um is bang on so uh i think i think the most useful way i like to frame this for people you know because people often feel like they're kind of fighting with themselves in this in this emotional eating stuff um so the way i like to frame it is that you know this behavior is quite literally solving a problem for you that is, you know, it's real or perceived and, you know, they're kind of one and the same almost. And um, we'll get into that and, and what you can do about that. But, you know, you're having a, like problems there. I'm using kind of very generically. So some sort of problem that your mind and body is aware of and it wants to solve that for you. And in doing so, and then that's where the, the kind of the emotional eating can come in. Um, we'll get into why that is, you know, why you might land on eating as, as a solution to this problem. But basically I want to frame it as, you know, your body and mind is trying to help you in the best way that it knows how, you know, it might not be very well versed in helping you in these, in these sort of situations. And that's, uh, I suppose, a lot of the bulk of what we're going to talk about is like how you can actually develop better ways to, to help yourself in these situations. Um, but you know, you're not necessarily fighting against yourself. Your body is trying to help you out here. It notices a problem. It's trying to help you solve it. It's just not the kind of outcome that you want in, in these, in this kind of a situation. And it could be worse as well. You know, you could turn to drugs or alcohol or, or whatever else, um, in these sort of situations to, to solve these problems, so to speak. So I think we'll run with that kind of, uh, frame throughout the episode. So keep that in mind that you know you are trying to solve a problem here uh, it's just we're, we're going to try and come up with better ways to go about that um that aren't as i suppose detrimental to your you know overall values overall goals, and, and these are the kind of things we're going to get into is that, is that a fair fair way to put it dean do you think yeah yeah like i think it's you know a lot of the stuff that we do with clients is teaching them how to intervene with themselves um, and, and giving them these sort of the, the tools 
to deal with, uh, with the problems, as you say, that is an alternative, right? Because at the end of the day, when it comes to emotional eating, when it comes to excessive amounts of dietary restraint, dieting restriction, when it comes to overvaluation of one's body shape, physical form, etc. These are all proxies for dealing with some level of, of, of other problems, you know. Um, and this is kind of where the um, disparity comes in, in in terms of this is where the, the quality your quality of life is affected because you know the these issues that you're having you're not able to deal with them in a way that is healthy. Um, and thus they're sort of like, you know, in kind of like a flywheel sort of situation where they're sort of spiraling out of control. Um, and it's kind of all, oftentimes that overwhelming lack of control, sort of, I am not able to do anything about the situation, or at least I'm, I'm not able to deal with this situation in the way that I feel like is appropriate. This is kind of where a lot of the, massive negative feelings and anxiety and sort of a lot of these psychological issues kind of um they rear their ugly head in a sense you know and i think it's as you say it's about teaching people as we said in the last episode teaching people how to think better but also move them towards a place where food is their friend and not you know something that they use in a negative way to deal with these issues and then obviously changing their perception of like dieting and body image and everything like that um so yeah that's that's pretty good summation i think yeah yeah so if we're looking at (laughs) what problems people are actually having here um we can we can look at it in one way that you know it's kind of by default if you're trying to change your body then there's some reason for that and there's some reason that you're not kind of content with how it is right now because obviously then you wouldn't try and change it right um so behind a lot of this is is some it's not always an issue of body image necessarily but in in this specific context we're talking like i'm not saying that everyone who wants to change how they look has body image problems that's not what i'm saying um but it's it's when it starts you know your pursuit of this starts to become detrimental you know so like in this in this case we were talking about it's like all right overly restrictive leads to kind of binge eating um and all these things that basically create a net negative for this person that's that's going through this you know it's it's there's some sense of wanting to change their body image not happy with how they look there's you know reasons for that it's like you know, one thing I often ask people in these situations, like, well, how do you know what you're supposed to look like? And who decides that, right? Is that the same here in Ireland as it is, you know, somewhere in, you know, Eastern Asia or the Middle East or something like, is this a uniform kind of desired physical form that is, is omnipresent? And you often find it's probably not, Right. So you have to, I really like people to ask these, like to ask these questions of themselves or, you know, I'll ask them the questions. They can think about them, you know, like who decides what you're supposed to look like? Yeah. What actually influences that? And a lot of it is down to, you know, media, culture, where we live and what are the current kind of body and, and beauty and physical ideals that exist at this, at this moment in time in our society, because they also don't, 
remain static. You know, it, the, the, the kind of beauty ideal today in 2022 is not the same as it was 50 years ago, right, necessarily. So this stuff is changing and you have to kind of look at these external influences on, on basically what decides how you think and feel about yourself. You know, you're heavily influenced by these uh, cultural things that, you know, basically you're not really the one deciding, like, you know, who decides how I'm supposed to look. And then, you know, how I'm, how I'm supposed to look can determine my value. So it's like, how close am I to meeting this ideal? And that determines how much self-worth I have, right? Um, so you can see how this is problematic because you're tying your self-worth to how you look and how you look is just dictated by nobody that you really care about. It's just this kind of grand societal pressure that, that we experience um, and you know it's kind of sold as you know well if you if you look a certain way then you're uh, more worthy and then therefore your life will be better and you'll have a happier time existing that's I, like if I'm trying to sum it up in like one sentence I would say that's probably what we're looking at um, which is a massive problem man, because it ignores you know so much like everything else besides your physical appearance in terms of your self-worth and what you see with people who have these issues with disordered eating and, and body image and everything else is this overvaluation of physical appearance, physical shape, and their sense of self-worth and self-esteem, right? And that's one of the main things you're trying to affect here um, and change because, uh, you know, as our friend uh, Shannon Beer says, I mean, this, I first heard her say this, so I just I give her the credit for this. Um, you know, you can change how you look without changing how you feel about yourself. And then the reverse is also true. You can change how you feel about yourself without changing how you look. And, you know, from our perspective, you know, we're not, we're not the type to sit there and say like, oh, yeah, well, no, you shouldn't change your body. You shouldn't ever want to change your body composition. You shouldn't want to ever change how you look. Um, but we also don't want to work with people so that that's all we affect in, in this kind of context. Like, so... Yes, we can help you change how you look, um, but along the way, we, we don't want it. We don't want how you feel to be determined solely on that. So we want to also help you change how you feel about yourself, you know, exclusive from your physical appearance. Dean, anything to to add to that? Yeah, it's it's. I think it's about having this multifaceted approach to the things that encompass health and also the things that, you know, you should derive importance from, you know, obviously, as I say, you know, cause I, I, in my mind, I always think of it's a specific wheel. If you think of like a pie chart. Um, so I'll try and visualize this for the people as best they can. But if you imagine a pie chart that has all these different components um, of your life, right? So you have obviously, your body composition and maybe you could encompass like health and fitness inside that then you have like your family and your friends you have um the hobbies that you engage in you have your your work you have your intellectual and educational pursuits um you have your romantic relationships you have your spiritual pursuits if you're a religious person or maybe you're into meditation and all this kind of stuff and if you can imagine a pie chart you want 
most of those to be relatively equal portions of the pie. Obviously, like family and friends probably takes should take, you know, should in quotation marks, uh, take a larger proportion of that. But obviously everybody's is going to be slightly different, right? But essentially what we want to avoid here is this body image, health, nutrition, focus on calories, um, all this kind of stuff to be taking a massive chunk of this pie. In some cases, over 50%, you know, in terms of, as we said, as we spoke about in the last podcast, this stuff taking up mental, um, it, it's it's taken up mental headspace um, in uh, in your mind, as I say, um, more than it should, or more than you feel is right. This is healthy, and at the expense then of all these other things. You know, you're obviously yeah. maybe you're not engaging with your family and friends in as much of a way as you would like. Maybe you're not engaging in the hobbies that that you want to be doing um, in a yeah. way that you like. Maybe you're not engaging in romantic relationships in in the way that you would like because you have this hyper focus on eating um changing your body composition and this is fed from as brian said these societal expectations of what you should look like and again as i said in the last episode should and must and using this these languages this language that is very extreme it doesn't give any flexibility it's essentially a totally inflexible way of looking at something that has absolutely enormous variety in it, right? Because mm-hmm. if you think of like, right, the ideal woman, quote unquote, ideal woman is, you know, at least for the last, you know, 30 years thin, but it's kind of moving a little bit toward a little bit more muscle and stuff like that. You think of, right, we have this one ideal and yet we have massive variations in height massive variations in body fat uh bone structure um we have massive variations in you know fa- you know facial structure there's this we have we all have this body that is you know everyone is so different but yet we've all boxed ourselves into this category where we feel like this is the this is the only one thing that we should be shooting for right and there's no, mm. there's no variation um and this just leaves a lot of people in a position where they'll never be able to achieve this ideal weight and shape. Um, but they'll, they'll try their absolute hardest to conform to this shape because as Brian said, you know, they're prescribing too much of their self-worth to this ideal weight and shape. And then this is what leads them into the, this whole of patterns of disordered eating overvaluation of weight and shape because they're, mm. they're scrambling. They're, they're trying to claw their way towards this, ideal um which is given to them by society and it leads them into these behaviors and this cycle of disordered eating and um these these mm. patterns of behavior where where um it's just not leading them to health it's leading them away from health because if we take back to the pie chart their quality of life and the, the, the proportions of time they're spending and energy that they're spending in these aspects yeah. of their life are being impacted massively yeah, the way I often describe it is, um, you know, you know, the end of the the phrase having all your eggs in one basket. So I, I talk about this like having all your sort of self worth slash happiness eggs in the physical appearance basket. So you're playing quite a risky game with your well being by having, 
you know, it's not obviously not all your eggs, but like a disproportionate amount of those eggs in that basket, because if that doesn't go the way you think it should, and may, and you know, all the things Dean said there, how there's so much variation yet we're all striving for this one specific outcome. Where does that actually leave you? You know, it kind of leaves you with not feeling so content about how you're living. And that is incredibly sad. And that's, you know, one of the biggest reasons we, find this work in particular so fulfilling because you can get people away from this then literally the rest of their life opens up to them and as you said earlier Dean it's not easy work um a lot of the time but it's extremely worthwhile because you know, often say like what's on the other side of this it's like well you can actually just enjoy your life a lot more and be a lot more content and not have this hanging over you and, and constantly worrying about your physical appearance and then you know, if that's a, a primary concern for you, then you, uh, you know, engage in these behaviors that, uh, you know, are, are to your detriments, you know, and a lot of your behaviors directed at controlling that. And then it obviously goes awry. And, you know, the kind of ironic thing with this is like, the, the more you can appreciate yourself as a whole person, the better you actually take care of yourself and the chances are then the better your body composition might be as a result, because we tend to take care, good care of the things that we care about. Right. But a lot yeah. of people in this situation are coming from this perspective that they are not worthy right now in terms of, and like, obviously there's, there's different kind of levels to that, you know, um, but there's some, to some degree, they're not, they're not okay as they are right now um so that has to change and that doesn't exactly come from a place of like caring for yourself because you're essentially rejecting yourself as you currently are right hopefully people can follow that but um yeah that's, that's you know pe people have concerns sorry then i'll get you going in a second people have concerns about if they let go of this level of restriction that they'll just it'll just all fall apart and they just won't engage in any sort of health promoting behaviors but if you can develop your sense of self-worth outside of you know just your physical appearance you'll have a greater appreciation for yourself and therefore you'll actually take care of yourself sorry dean go on what did you want to say yeah no i just wanted to, to use an analogy from this month's book club uh, as we're, we're, we're currently reading mo godat's uh solve for happy for a book for a book club this month and I used a really good analogy that that um, in the book in terms of imagine you have this car um, and it's the only car that you can have for the rest of your life, right? This is like, there's no more upgrades. You can't go and change this car, the, the color of it, whatever it is. Someone has assigned you this vehicle and that is going to be the vehicle that you'll be using for the rest of your life. He makes the argument that if this is the case, you'd want to be taking pretty damn good care of this car, right? Because it's the only one you get, right? There's no upgrades. Yes, the, maybe you can take it to the mechanic and stuff like that. But generally speaking, if you wreck this car, that's the only one you're getting, right? And we can analogize this and, and take this forward into our bodies. You only have one body, right? And I think by learning to as Brian said, appreciate that and 
appreciate the fact of what your body does for you. And this is kind of some, this is one of the things that I will actually, one of the exercises that I will do with clients is actually get them to do these reflective writing exercises in relation to gratitude and body appreciation for what the body does for you. Um, and, and the amazing thing is that your body facilitates you and allows you to do, which you can talk about more in a moment. But again, taking it back to this analogy, you only have this one body, right? And imagine if you had that only that one singular car, you'd be, you want to be, to be taking damn good care of it. But I think whenever we think of it in our bodies, maybe it's oftentimes because especially for young people, we kind of think, right, you know, I'll be young forever. I'm super resilient. Um, this sort of uh, attitude of like, you know, in the, in the same people with in the same way that people can be a bit reckless with their with their behaviors and stuff like that we can sometimes be a bit reckless with our, our treatment of our body and this can be again extrapolated to to sometimes people will get into this cycle of not treating their body well um and this can be a self-worth issue but if you can flip the script on that a little bit and change your mindset towards this thing of right i only have this one body I'm going to try and appreciate it as much as I can and look after it as much as I can. And then as Brian said, that often leads you to engage in behaviors like, you know, changing the car's oil. <laughs> if we're talking about a car, uh, changing the tires, often making sure that it's clean and tidy and all the rest of it. Or in the case of your body, fueling your body correctly, making sure that you are getting plenty of sleep. You know, a lot of these self-care activities and flipping the script from this aspect on this mindset of punishment and I hate my body and all this kind of stuff to no I actually going to appreciate my body um and I'm going to look after it and I'm going to give it the things that it needs because it's it's amazing and this is kind of where as I was saying this reflective writing is something that we do um and it's very very powerful like uh, as I said at the start of the podcast you can do a lot of this work by yourself you know there's a lot of self-help exercises um and I'm not talking about self-help, by the way, in that, like, you know, say Mark Manson's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, you know, these sort of like more uh, zoomed out self-help books. I'm actually talking about specific self-help books as it relates to, you know, disordered eating or, or body image stuff. There are actual specific resources out there that are actually excellent. Um, and a lot of that is down to these reflective writing exercises, one of one of which is this sort of body appreciation. So as I say, some of one of the things that I'll get clients to do is write out some of the things that you appreciate and you're grateful for um, as it relates to your body. So this could be something like my body allows me to exercise. Um, my body allows me to hug someone. My body allows me to shower. You know, I'm able to wash myself. My body allows me to um, get outside and, and go for a walk and experience nature. And essentially when, when you do all this, it, it sort of, again, gives you this reference point away from, I hate my body because it doesn't look like this ideal that we've been talking about and more towards this case of, right, okay, maybe I don't, maybe I don't necessarily conform to this body image ideal, but there are all these other elements of my body that's not in relation to the physical form and how people see me but it does all this other stuff for me. And it's like, you know, even if you think of it like the, bio the biological elements of this in terms of it's, it's an amazing piece of machinery that we have in terms of like, if I, if I get a cut on my hand, my body will heal and it will do all these amazing things. And this is kind of where by doing some of the reflective writing implementation of some of these gratitude exercises, these 
appreciation exercises it can move you away from looking at the body in a negative sense and towards a positive sense and that's that's one practical thing that you can do right now um that can be pretty powerful from flipping the script and changing your mindset towards a more positive body image like literally everything you've ever experienced has been facilitated by your body everything like anything you've seen it's because your eyes allow you to see it if, if you have vision obviously um anything you've heard you know any any kind of any any kind thing anyone has ever said to you verbally you know your ears facilitated that uh if it was a message then again your eyes have, have allowed you to read that you know just smells like you know any pleasant scents flowers perfume whatever food taste touch every, literally every fucking thing has ever gone well in your life any moments that that you can look over on fondly has been facilitated by your body so um the, the appreciation aspect is huge and yeah it's, it's like you said it's something we do uh with our clients um as part of their check-ins like or, you know or, or kind of homework um if they're, if they're working on this stuff so uh yeah it's it's important to generate more kind of appreciation uh more self-compassion you know again not kind of hating on yourself um and you know the, the good analogy for like self-compassion is you know are you gonna are you gonna talk to are you gonna treat a small child or talk to a small child the way you talk to yourself or the one i actually prefer is like you're gonna talk to your kind of best friend um the way you talk to yourself um and i saw a friend a friend of mine uh lee put up uh, a nice uh, kind of reel on this the other day it was like i like the analogy it's like he's kind of talking about this kind of emotional regulation stuff and he's like you know if you have a small like say you have children or not imagine you have to have children a small child comes to you and you know they're having a bad time and they're they're feeling upset about something and he says, like, are you as a parent or a guardian or whatever it is, older brother, older sister, going to say, here, just take that ice cream now, shut up, and, like, eat that ice cream and, and go on now, right? Yeah, it's, it's, I know you're laughing, it's, it's an excellent um, way to look at it. Um, I thought it was deadly, I'll definitely be using it, like, going forward. Uh, but, like, that's, that's, that's as clear as it gets. It's like, are you going to say to them, you know, shut up, you take, eat your ice cream, and you know don't talk to me anymore about this you know feelings of being upset or anything like that um so you know the way you talk to yourself is very important um the kind of standards you set for yourself are important as well and this this one's kind of sort of ironic at times because like you know i i think in our line of work like perfection is you know as as the saying goes perfect is the enemy of the good right uh, and if you know if you're striving for perfection all the time with this stuff then you know your your self-talk is is going to be potentially quite negative a lot of the time and you know that is not going to facilitate better behaviors because you know the, the research on this is pretty good in terms of people who are more self-compassionate tend to achieve their goals right more more than people like when you look at it like past the period of like a week or a couple of weeks um which you know obviously any sort of goal you have is really going to take longer than a week or two to complete 
uh, once once you look that far ahead, the self criticism approach doesn't really get you there. Mm. And people are very afraid to be compassionate because it's like, right, if I am compassionate to myself, if I develop this self compassion, I'll get complacent. And I always yeah. like to say, self compassion um, and self acceptance even though they're, they are different concepts, but in this context, they're not mutually exclusive with having discipline and being no. the type of person that gets things done and achieving the goals you want to achieve. Because this is kind of one, one of my clients that we do, we talk like we talk about, about this stuff every week. This is, these are conversations that we have every week because this is an important goal for her. Um, and this is, this is one of her concerns in terms of, right. She is, a very hardworking person. She does very well at her job. She has an excellent body of knowledge when it comes to health and nutrition and exercising, which is another thing that we talked about last week in terms of oftentimes hyper-awareness of this stuff doesn't help. But she was concerned that, right, uh, look, I love the idea of compassion. I am very compassionate towards other people. But if I'm that way to myself, then I'll just, I'll, I'll just become a lazy piece of shit you know and that's that's incorrect right as you said like the research shows that people that are kinder to themselves and are at least not as self-critical mm. um overly self-critical in a sense that like you can be critical of yourself so this is this is the way i would frame it you can be critical of your actions in a mm. sense that right i didn't get up early enough today right but there's a big difference between i didn't get early get up early enough today and i didn't get up early enough today thus i'm a piece of shit yeah i am a I, my person is like i am not a good person yeah. because i've done that or i am prescribing my worth as a person is bad right and this mm -hmm. is kind of where self-compassion comes in it's not necessarily you are not necessarily advocating or complying or, or uh, yeah, I suppose advocating is the right term behavior that is obviously destructive, right? Like if you continually keep using cocaine or whatever it is, it's not the behavior that you're, that you're advocating. You're being compassionate to your physical self and, mm. that, and that's key. And that's kind of like when you combine that with still being the type of person that wants to get things done and, and is disciplined and, you know, because these things are good for your psychology as well. This is very important. This is kind of where some of the yeah. more, like what Jordan Peterson talks about in terms of, you know, you still want to stand up straight with your shoulders back and try and strive to be the person that you want to be. This is where I think it, this is a nice little combination of these, mm. you know, schools of thought in the sense of you have like the positive psychology and the psychology that's, that's more towards being the person that you want to be. Um, and I think that that's where, where self-compassion, you know, being kind to yourself, um, trying to quiet the the, the self-critic that is critical of you as a person but not of your actions right you you can still be critical of your actions and you can still be critical of other people's actions but as you said like you know and, and i think that child analogy is excellent because it's like right you can scold a child for their behavior but mm. if you scold a child for like you know you're you are a, a bad child in a sense of like you're you the child is bad but the behavior instead of the behavior then that's kind of where a lot of this 
yeah. dysfunctional beliefs kind of um and, and pat negative thought patterns um yeah come about it's yeah it's a good distinction to make all right um in terms of you know you can look at the behavior that doesn't define you as a person right um and it's like what i said earlier it's you know the whole this whole idea of like you know if you're if you're more self-compassionate right you obviously care more about yourself and therefore you look after the things that you care about right so that's again that, that ties back to that um i think it's funny and you know this is just one of the many examples in terms of how we kind of delude ourselves and we there's cognitive distortions at play but it's like you know if, if if compassion wasn't a good thing why are you using it with everyone else except yourself why is that your course of action like with the people that you actually care about it's like you know yeah i'm gonna use it for all these people but for myself not won't work like yeah. i'm i'm the i'm the unique outlier that you know you know i'm gonna be compassionate to my friends my family most people that come across it's important to be kind you know though you know i see a lot of instagram bios like if you can't be anything else be kind but it's like but once it comes down to looking at the person in the mirror no it's yeah. different um which you know it doesn't it obviously doesn't make any sense um but yeah it's not a, it's not about like complacency because again if you apply this to like you know if, if you if you again you, these are the two analogies we like to go with like one of your best friends or family members or whatever um or a small child it's like you know if you see them doing something that is counterproductive or destructive to their well-being do you you know enable that or do you encourage it right because that's that's essentially what you're saying will happen if you start to be kinder to yourself that as as you said being that all your discipline will just fall away you won't have any drive to, to accomplish things you want to accomplish but again if you can look more externally at it if you get so caught up deluded and um everything else when we're, in, when we're inside our own heads it's like you know are you going to just let that child keep doing stuff that's going to you know detract from their quality of life or do them harm or move them in the direction away from where they want to get to clearly not so why would you think it's the same for yourself you know if a friend comes to you and says well, you know i'm having i'm having problems with like you know my eating and you know i i tend to eat a lot when i'm upset and etc etc you're going to say oh yeah that's fine just keep doing that though like you know you gotta you gotta look after yourself like kind to yourself so just keep doing that you're obviously not all right so i know it's i know it's difficult to grasp when you feel like you have a very tenuous hold on your control of, of food behaviors in this context we're talking about but try and view it in those different frames that like okay you know I, th this isn't something that i would do to somebody else if they you know if i'm being more compassionate to them like the, the net outcome is going to be more positive you know rather than being negative yeah yeah like i think you know that because as we say the default is you know i, I think uh as our our own psychology and our interpersonal psychology dictates that we are self-critical i think that's kind of like the default and i believe one of the reasons why some of the evidence-based therapeutic techniques are so effective is because they are essentially tools that have been tested through science 
that show that we can intervene whenever we are getting involved in these negative thought patterns that are kind of like the default way of thinking. And we can, we can actually use our thinking to correct our thinking in a sense, you know, a lot of these psychological tools, basically, as I say, these evidence-based techniques, they give you the ability to work on these negative elements of our psychology that are inherent within human psychology. You know, I think, because even like you could look at it from an evolutionary psychology perspective as well, Mm. in terms of obviously a lot of these, what would be considered negative emotions, like anxiety and fear and everything like this, this is the stuff that saved our ancestors. Yeah. Back in the day. So obviously they have function, they are functional, but Mm. when you start, when you drop them into the modern world of like crazy social media and all the rest of it, this is where they start to become dysfunctional. And this is why, you know, as I say, therapy, um, some of these evidence-based self-help techniques, talking about this stuff, having a greater awareness of it, working on your thinking, this is why it's all so effective because Mm. it allows us to intervene in these, um, towards these issues that are created by, by our mind. Because I think another discussion that's, or another aspect of this that is important is, Thoughts are thoughts. They have no bearing on reality unless you allow them to have bearing on reality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I like the like kind of evolutionary perspective on a lot of this stuff. Uh, just stuff in general, because I think it helps people, again, understand that it's, you know, they're not kind of broken or faulty um, for, for having these kind of issues. Like, so as you said, Dean, it's like very much, it was very much preferential from like a survival point of view to be a lot more aware of the negative than it is the positive. Right. Cause you know, if you're walking along on the Savannah and there's a rustle in the grass and you have a negative thought that shit, that could be a, a lion mm-hmm. and you just sit there and you're like, I'm going to diffuse from that thought. Cause it's not, you know, <laughs> I don't want to have that thought. And then you get eaten. Well, you know, your genetics stop right there. Right. So like yeah. we, we are hardwired to be more cognizant of the negative because it helps us survive. Right. And I think that's kind of a nice, this can be a nice segue into this discussion of like emotional regulation um, and, and specifically kind of experiential avoidance as being such a problem in, in this stuff, because mm. um I have a book which which I haven't read yet. Uh, I think Shannon recommended it, but it's it's called Good Reasons for Bad Feelings. Mm. Um, and like I said, I don't actually know anything about the book because I haven't read it. But as a kind of uh, what would you call it, a soundbite, it's probably it's probably a decent one. It's like so, there are good reasons for the bad feelings that you're having. Like I would encourage people to consider that they're trying to tell you something. So rather than trying to shut them off and rather than trying to numb them out and block them out using whatever mechanisms you do. And in our context here, we're talking about eating, you know, kind of binge eating, just tune it out. You know, you become completely mindless, completely just oblivious to how you're actually feeling and you're just eating and that's facilitating, you know, essentially feeling nothing. 
um, or potentially providing some level of comfort at the same time. But, you know, there are reasons that you're feeling the way you feel. And again, uh, uh, the kind of the reference point they use at the very start, you know, you're, you're sensing a problem of some sort. So it is a lot more productive to try and address the problem. And then, you know, it's not always an easy thing to do, right? Um, even if you're going to identify what the problem is, it's not always easy to just solve it. Um, but that's where I suppose the emotional regulation strategies come into this to help you better deal with yeah. these feelings and situations. Um, yeah. Do you want to just circle back to experiential avoidance and mm. what that, just define that a little bit more? Um, because I think you know, when we're talking about emotional eating and people using food to cope with um, yeah. emotions. Yeah, it's basically trying to not feel how you're feeling right now. That's you know, to, to, trying to avoid using the words experience and avoid because that's just a poor way to define something. It's just they use the, the, the words that are in there. Here's the words again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. That's a scumbag move. So, um, you know, obviously, as the, as the term suggests, you know, you're experiencing something right now, i.e. how you're feeling, and you don't want to do that. You don't want to feel it. So you're going to try and avoid it um shut it out uh, like i said with kind of eating or you know eating in this context but it could be a lot of things um so that's kind of the definition of experiential avoidance unless you want to add anything to it no i think uh, you know like another way i like to look at this as well is you know because we, we use the child analogy so let's use another one um when, whenever you see a child exceed their tolerance for frustration hmm. what do they do they have a tantrum right and that is because they have not learned to regulate their emotions correctly yet right and essentially experiential avoidance whether that be through using food or uh, procrastination or gambling drugs um, whatever it is basically these behaviors that we know in the long term are really bad for us but in the short term they sort of allow us to sort of soothe the experience is essentially can, can be sort of pres- uh, subscribed or similar similarly prescribed in the same way that you would um a child having a tantrum right it's, it's, mm. you, you can't tolerate the experience the present moment yeah. experience so i need to go going to need to go and do this other thing right and sometimes that can be a good thing in a sense of like if you say right i can't tolerate the current experience so i'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to do a little bit of meditation, or I'm going to talk to a friend. So it's not always it's not always in a bad context. And oftentimes, you know, if you're doing those, you know, as it going to talk to a friend to try and work through the experience um, and help you, you know, uh, deal with the frustration or the experience can be useful. Um, but it's kind of whenever these destructive behaviors are brought in through and, and utilizing those to avoid the experience, this is where the problem is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's let's talk about learning better emotional regulation. Um, yeah. Where do you want to start with that? Yeah, so I think um, the ABC framework is is pretty good. We could also talk about you know you you did you did mention diffusion there, which is an act. So we can kind of go, we can go down either one of those routes. Um, they're both, they're both pretty useful, but I think the, 
just rather than getting into the weeds too much about like the specific mm. concepts, it's about working on your thinking, right? Um, and sort of this, this whole thing of mindfulness, metacognition as it's called, right? Thinking about thinking. Um, and this is where emotional regulation um, if you, if you understand it, that there is a direct relationship between your thoughts, your emotions, and your behavior, and that you can intervene at the thought, at the level of the thought, and also at the level of the behavior, then you can start to work on this. You know, if you think of it like this trifecta, this triangle, yeah. um, this is where you can start to, to really work on, on how you feel. Right. So let's say, for example, you know, you have a you have a stressful time at work or something like that and your default behavior so you have you sorry you have an event that happens at work right you have an argument with somebody that makes you feel really shit um and your default behavior is to go home and, and to eat a bunch of chocolate yeah right um so what you can do here is you know by using some of these mindfulness techniques, by using some of these techniques from any of the, you know, the CBT or ACT or whatever, what you can do is you can intervene, as I say, at the level of thought and really start to say, right, how can I change the way I'm thinking about this situation, right? So say if it's like I had a stressful interaction with somebody and this is kind of where cognitive distortions come into play. So it's like, say, for example, you are overgeneralizing in a sense that, um, right, well, this, this situation, this isolated situation is, is not good. Um, so that means across the board, everything is terrible, right? So you're, you're making this sort of sweeping statement. So there's a lot of these, you can actually Google cognitive distortions and it'll come up with a, like a nice list of them. Mm. Um, and what you can do is you can say, start to say, right, well, what's, where's the evidence of this? Is there any way for me to look at this a little bit more critically? Um, am I being overly pessimistic? Am I overgeneralizing? Am I potentially looking into this situation too much in a sense like mind reading is another cognitive distortion. So potentially yeah. you're thinking too much about what's happening. Say if it's a, if it's a stressful interaction, let's say in this case, you're thinking too much about, right, this person must think I'm a piece of shit or they must hate me or whatever. Are you sort of letting that kind of get out of control. And then by dissecting it in a sense of like, I like to think of it as, a, as if you are looking at it, not from your own perspective, but from someone else's perspective and start to really like pull apart the thought and mm. the interaction and, and work on kind of, right, how, how have I reacted to this situation? Um, is, is there any evidence to support this is there a dearth of evidence to support this is there any evidence against it and you really start to dissecting this um, and, and this is kind of where you're, you're you're being more mindful of the situation um and over time like one, one thing that will happen as well is a lot of the a lot of negative emotions that we experience they're very very strong they're very very powerful for a certain amount of time mm. and if you can learn to sit with them and work on your thinking and recognize right that's a cognitive distortion maybe i'm overgeneralizing. maybe i'm uh, engaging in black or white thinking maybe there's more to this story and if you can kind of work on that oftentimes the the emotion will lose a lot of its strength over time yeah. 
that's what you can do kind of from a thought perspective. Again, another thing that you can do is from, you know, if we think of like, right, thoughts, emotions, and behaviors in a triangle, they're all mm -hmm. kind of interconnected. Maybe you go and talk to about it with a friend. Maybe you do some journaling. Maybe you go for a walk and listen to some relaxing music. And then again, yeah. maybe if you combine that with, right, thinking about thinking, metacognition, whatever you want to call it, yeah. if you combine them, maybe the emotion is brought down from a nine out of 10 intensity to a six out of 10 intensity. And yeah. when it's a six out of 10 intensity, then you can start to say, right, how can I, maybe maybe it's not as intense as it was. And you're able to say to yourself, right, well, maybe going to the biscuit tin mm. and absolutely demolishing two packets of chocolate digestives is not a good idea. Yeah. Now, this is also, this is also where some of this other stuff comes into play in terms of, if you've been massively restricting your food and your hunger is away through the roof, that's obviously going to be a precipitating factor that's going to make it a lot harder. And this is why yeah. not being in diet mode is important <laughs> in this case, because it's obviously making this process a lot harder. Um, and then also maybe you, you have a, a perspective of, right, I'll have three chocolate digestives, mm. right? Because maybe it will help deal with the emotions a little bit better, but it's just essentially to yeah it's like if Dog you're if you know if you as you said if you can dial it down to a six out of ten that is not so uncomfortable that you have this knee-jerk reaction to just try and shut it down and get the get all the, the the digestives eaten just to get some reprieve from that so it gives you some breathing room to engage in such a way that's a lot more productive sorry to put you off but yeah i like that no, well, that's it's it's basically just about learning how to regulate your emotions with all of these different techniques. There's so many of them, right? But these are just to give you, get, like, for anyone that's listening to this, to expose you to some ideas. Um, there's so many of them. A lot of them are, but a lot of it is just generally to do with working on your thinking and how you yeah. react to like, these situations. The way one of the analogies I like to use with this is that you imagine there's a guy in your head right you're just observing everything that happens to you okay and he has a little label maker there with him so if you if you tell him what the, the meaning or the label is on a certain event then he types up the label he sticks it on it and then you've decided what it means but if you don't engage in that process and you don't you know, think about how you're thinking, basically. He's just left to his own devices and he'll just slap a label on that he thinks is, is the best in that situation. So like you said, in that example, you know, you've had a, a kind of a stressful interaction at work. Um, you know, unless you do a little bit of thinking, you know, metacognition there, you could just, you know, your, your guy in your head might just label as like, okay, that that's disrespect that we've experienced now. So I've been disrespected and now I feel disrespected. And that makes me feel X, Y, Z, you know, angry, frustrated, you know, disrespected is, is its own kind of feeling as well, I guess. But, and then that will lead to certain behaviors. But what, what you're saying here, Dean, is that we have a say in the labeling, you know? So basically I like to say like all events, interactions, et cetera, are neutral until you put a label on it and you know some like some are going to have just a natural kind of 
we're all kind of going to, we're all going to agree that, you know, if you're lying down and 16 puppies come run over and start licking you in the face, we're all going to agree for the most part, that's a positive event, right? There's not too much meta cognition that needs to go into that. However, definitely one guy out there that hates puppies and he's like yeah i I don't agree with that one bit (laughs) (laughs) fuck that guy uh but i i I think i don't know people people tend to you know they tend to latch on to that idea that's like okay you know you have all these inputs coming in this guy labeling away so this means that this means that this means that um but you are sending the commands if you choose to do so basically Mm um you know and and from like an act perspective or acceptance and commitment therapy perspective you know you can intervene maybe on the feelings level as well to a certain extent you can use like expansion exercises but they're also always followed by a behavior so it's it's you know it's using the behavior as well uh, as an intervention Mm. and it's like you know if you want to distill it down to something it's like all right i feel how i feel that is what it is I'm going to do something that's in support of the person I want to be regardless. Yeah. That's, I think that's how you can sum up a lot of this stuff, especially from, from that act perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. So just on that as well, uh, we probably won't have time to get into it today, but I think we could probably do a podcast on this as well. Um, these kind of techniques. But, yeah. Well, I was going to show like you, you can't like if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see, um, I'll try and unblur my screen here. Um, but basically the act daily journal is something that I use myself. It's something that I use with clients because I think to like, what I would like to say here is while I have done a lot of reading and study um, and investigation into that, a lot of this, I am not an expert in a lot of these techniques, right? I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a, a psychotherapist of any degree. I use these techniques in the context of clients where appropriate and with it's when it's within my scope of practice. But I think at least from my perspective, um, and I, I think you'd probably agree with this brain is a lot of the stuff that we're talking about today should be just threads for you to pull on and, and little ways for you to, in, to do further investigation. If you want to kind of go down the self-help route route. Um, and I think like resources like the act daily journal is, is excellent. Um, there are also, um, Break, uh, not break binge eating, um, overcoming binge eating by mm. Christopher Fairburn. There's a lot of good resources out there that allows you to delve into these cognitive exercises that we've talked about today um, and learn about them for yourself and how they can apply to your life and specifically how it, how it works around um, binge eating, disordered eating, um, issues around body image and stuff like that. And you can learn how to do these techniques for yourself. Like obviously, if, you, if, you're, if you're working with us, we're going to be helping you with this kind of stuff. As I said, at the start of the podcast, if, it's, if you're in a more severe case, a specialized dietitian or, or a therapist will, will help you with this kind of stuff. But this is essentially like, you know, I think this is kind of the best the best weapons we have against this, these kind of issues at the moment, um, mm. it seems to be like it's the, the most evidence based. They seem to have the highest rate of success um, with these, um, with people that have these types of issues. Um, but yeah, I think overall, that's probably a good starting point. Um, if you kind of liked what you've heard in terms of some of the stuff that we talked about in this podcast, you know, um, looking into 
some of those reflectivating writing exercises, self-help um, type books that you can get as it relates specifically to ACT, which is acceptance and commitment therapy, CBT. And then obviously you can get more specific with books that are related to this type of stuff in terms of overcoming binge eating by Christopher Fairburn and I'm trying to think of the other book. Um, I can't, I can't think of it at the moment, but you know, there's a lot of good resources out there. I don't know if you have any specifically you want to chime in on as well, but. Um, I like, uh, appetite awareness workbook as well. Yes. It's um, good. Yeah. As a resource for improving your kind of, sort of relationship with food, eating behaviors. And if, if kind of binge eating and stuff is something that you struggle with, that's a good one. Um, I feel like there's another one I'm forgetting now as well. Like another another kind of similar workbook. Um, the, the Body Image Workbook book by Thomas mm, Cash is also yes. excellent. Yes, yes, yes. It's also excellent. Uh, so. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, there, there's some really good resources. Uh, I mean, we like, you know, we like the Daily Stoic in this in this context as well, mm. you know, especially with that meta metacognition Um a lot of this stuff is, is tied together, you know, the kind of CBT and, or EBT is heavily influenced by Stoic philosophy. Um, you've got the, the ACT Daily Journal, of course, as Dean mentioned, and kind of the good, the kind of, uh, what would you say, this, the self-help book for ACT. Uh, one of them is uh, The Happiness Trap, really, really good book. Short read, quite simple concepts, very, very effective. Um, it's kind of one of those things I think everyone should read, to be honest, um, even if you don't have any issues with this stuff, but just it gives you a lot of insight on, in terms of how you should go about your living. Um, and then one, uh, another one's uh, feeling great is like a good self-help book from like a CBT point of view. Um, he has a podcast that guy as well, doesn't he? David Burns, I don't know if he has yeah. a podcast. I was actually talking to Luke about this the other day because we were discussing some of this stuff because, you know, he's more time in this because it's summer now. So mm. he's off college, so he wants to look at more of this stuff. But um, he mentioned Feeling Great. And I was like, oh, yeah, I love that book. I, I read it ages ago. And then I actually read Feeling Good, which was a, a much older book. And Feeling Great was only published uh, quite recently, I think. Mm. Um, so I must check that out because I asked him, you know, what the difference is between the two. And he, he said, like, the... Feeling great is just a little bit more useful, I think, and maybe user-friendly or, or something along those lines. But I, I'm going to give it a look because I really enjoyed that Feeling Good book. Um, yeah, it's, it's basically just, well, that one anyway, obviously can't speak for Feeling Great because I haven't read it, but it's just the, it's the cognitive therapy side of cognitive behavioral therapy, self-help, mm. things you, like a lot of these kind of thought exercises and stuff that you can do. Um, excuse me to improve your thinking uh that's all for happy book like i know we're going to discuss that obviously in depth in our book club but i really enjoyed that yeah. it's um, been pretty good so far yeah yeah, yeah I, thought it was, I thought it was really good um but yeah i think that's yeah i mean that there's plenty of resources there uh mm. dean you can put those in the the show notes i'm sure i will i will indeed um yeah so yeah. like look at i think we, we could we, this is a topic that we could talk about for very, very long, a very, very long time. Um, I think I would like to get uh, more experts 
mm. on on this topic on i think when we had shannon on that was excellent but there's also you know loads and loads of other practitioners as i say like you know specific therapists eating disorder dietitians um you know there's lots of lots lots and lots of people i'd like to get on to talk about this type of stuff further because it's fascinating i love psychology um i love how it relates to um helping people with patterns of disordered eating and you know as i say at yeah. the end of the day what's what's the goal with this client this relationship with food um case study that we've been talking about it is to take her from a place where her quality of life is massively affected by all this stuff to a place where she can live a more uh a more fulfilling happier experience overall you know if we talk think about yeah. that pie chart that we we're or the egg basket analogy that we used earlier yeah because um, she she doesn't get up in the morning and say cool my ideal day here is going to be stressing about food for, you know, eight hours and then engaging in behaviors to make me feel like shit because they don't line up with the person I want to be. Like that's yeah. not how she wants to go about her day. So yeah, that's yeah. what we're trying to affect change on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah well, uh, have you any closing remarks? Brian? Um, no, I think that was quite a good discussion to be honest. I know, I know looking at our notes, we didn't get through a lot of what we wanted to, but yeah. Uh, I think, as you said, Dean, it's like a, it's a good discussion to provide a lot of threads that people can pull at. Start looking at this stuff. Hopefully, the kind of framework that we've discussed give people a, a kind of fresher perspective on this. If, if something that they're having issues with, um, and like give them some sort of courses of action that they can go go down because you know presumably what they've been trying has not been working that well so you know it's time to try something else um i mean yeah we, i think we've touched nicely on a lot of different aspects there um but yeah i don't, I don't like yeah we, we could do definitely another episode on some of this stuff um but hopefully we've given people a good idea of like okay you know there's kind of good reasons for bad feelings and the the, the problem that you're trying to solve the best way you know how right now might be just through food but you have to look at you know this awareness piece of like you know what's going on with your thinking what's going on with your behavior what can you do to impact that you know what influences body image um having and you know where does your idea of body image come from and we've we gave some exercises that you can do to help improve that um we talked about self-compassion and the role in in that and, and how being kinder to yourself does not is not synonymous with just completely losing discipline because as we said you wouldn't just um you you wouldn't you wouldn't recommend to a friend who said they're struggling with this stuff like ah don't worry just like keep keep you know keep eating because if that's what's making you feel good then then do it because it's not what's making you feel good at the end of the day right um and again to, to go at least uh analogy it's like you know if a small child comes to you upset because something you know bad happens to them or negative that's you know they've got it's got them feeling bad you don't just give them an ice cream and tell them to shut up and fuck off eat your ice cream don't be don't be telling you about about your problems right because and if it's not clear you are your you are the child in this situation um and that's how you're how you're dealing with yourself uh, in a lot of ways here so you know don't do that and, and let's look at more options there yeah so, yeah i think i'll leave it there obviously if, if people 
would like our help with this stuff. Um, you know, we do a lot of our, our good coaching work on this kind of thing and obviously tie it into like everything else that we do as nutrition and lifestyle coaches, you know? So, you know, you don't have to have solely these issues if you want to work with us. Obviously that's, that you can do that, but you know, we can also help you with your body composition at the same time. We can help you with your sports performance at the same time and help you make sure your diet is as healthy as possible. Um, and your lifestyle as healthy as possible to get what you want to get out of life essentially. Um, and not let this stuff hold you back. Uh, cause as I said, you, you know, if you're listening to this and any of it resonates, you don't wake up in the morning wanting to go about your day like this. So, uh, it's worth, it's worth trying to do something about it. Sure. For sure. Yes. So guys, we have coaching spots available. Um, if that wasn't obvious, uh, and I believe the, um, the links for coaching in the description. As I say, we don't need to labor on that point too much longer. You know that we do this kind of work. I feel like we do it pretty well, Brian. Um, and hopefully this podcast has been helpful. If you enjoyed it, if you think it was useful, if you know someone that may find it useful, please share it. Like I think yeah. that's the best thing that you can do for us. Um, you know, obviously we, we would love to have people as clients, but the next best thing, that we like to see from people is um, to have this content shared around because I think one thing that people maybe don't understand is the long content uh, podcasts, YouTube videos at the moment, um, they, they don't receive a lot of natural organic reach in the same way like an, like a 10 second Instagram reel would. So yeah. um, it isn't like if, if you enjoy the stuff that we're doing, one of the best things that you can do for us is, is to, to rate the podcast on whatever you're using Spotify, but even more so than that is to share it around on your social media or with people that you feel would get use out of it because that's how you get the content out there. Um, that's ultimately what we want. Like, you know, yeah. if, if, if however many people can listen to this and get something from it, like we're pretty happy, you know, yeah. we want like exactly. ultimately the whole point is trying to help people. Right. So yeah. The more people that listen to it, the better chance we have, of, you know, that kind of hitting the mark with somebody, maybe, as you, as you said, maybe send, they pull out a thread, it sends them on a path, they end up in a much better position as a result. It doesn't really matter to us if it's through our coaching means or not. I don't really care about that. If people, people are getting help, living better lives, that's the main thing. Um, and yeah, like this is like a direct request, you know, literally if you appreciate what we do here in this long form content, you know, this is what an hour and a half of, of kind of free information that we're putting out there trying to help people. So if you appreciate that, we will appreciate you sharing it around, helping to get out there. So that's something very small that you can do, but actually it is a big deal, like in terms of getting the message out there. So yes, if you have liked this episode, please go and share it with somebody or a lot of people um, because it does help a lot. I think people think, you know, uh, probably doesn't do that much it does and i think people probably think ah, i'm sure loads of people share it they don't so you as the listener right now can be the one to take action don't assume that someone else will yeah 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 so guys thank you for tuning in yeah if there's anything else we can do for you shoot us a message on instagram links for everything will be in the description resources social media coaching all that jazz we'll catch you in the next one